Between the years when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of, when shining kingdoms lay spread across the world. Hither came Conan, the Cimmerian, sword in hand. It is I, his chronicler, who knows well his saga. Now let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Listening to the Stephen R. Else podcast, episode number 21 Conan, the Frost Giant's Daughter, and Other Stories. Welcome to another episode of the Stephen or Else podcast, the only show that thinks Krom is some kind of weird Sumerian cheese. I'm your host, Stephen, and this week I'm talking Conan. And that's Conan, not Conan, right? That is that up for debate? Some, you know, when I, some people call him Conan, some people call him Conan. When I think of Conan, I'm thinking of Conan O'Brien. So I'm going to try my best to call him Conan though I know I sometimes slip into the Conan name. But that's what we're talking about this week, Conan, specifically the first Dark Horse trade from Kurt Busick and Kerry Nord. Uh, But first I want to talk about something. I want to tell you about something exciting we got coming up for the show. March for the Stephen Orell's podcast is Superman Month. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that each episode in March, I'm going to be talking about one of the four books that makes up the death and return of Superman's storyline. So the first Monday in March, we're going to talk about the death of Superman trade. The second Monday in March, we're going to talk about funeral for a friend, that trade. The third Monday in March will be uh, the Reign of Superman trade, and then the final Monday in March is going to be the Return of Superman trade. So all four weeks, all four episodes about Superman. And I invite you all to join in to these discussions. And so basically, I tend to record these episodes the Thursday, at the earliest, the Thursday before the Monday they go out. So that week before, I think it's Monday the 4th. So that Thursday, I don't know what the date is off the top of my head. But here's what we'll do. We'll give you till the end of the day, uh, February the 26th, to get me to, to read that first trade, The Death of Superman, and then send me your thoughts. You can email them to me at stephenrls at gmail.com. You can throw, you know, if you want to put like... um five minutes together of an audio clip and send that to me. You can do that as well at stephenorels.com. And then we'll be doing that each week. So each Thursday before the Monday episode, I need you to have um, that inf- that stuff into me, I guess I should say. Um, <laughs> so yeah, starting out all great, aren't we? Okay, so we're even going to, I'm thinking about even... Uh, the Nerd Quest episode that comes out in March, um, even though there's really no way to to make that a Superman themed episode, the girls don't know this yet. But I thought it would be fun if the day the day we do our Nerd Quest before we go, 
we sit down and we watch the Death of Superman DVD that just recently came out on DVD. Um, I think Palin would be really into that. Rana may not be, but I think she would watch it for the episode. So then we could go to the library, get into another one of those study rooms and then talk about, you know, maybe spend 15 minutes talking about that movie before we go on and do our other nerd quest stuff. I'm even going as far as thinking about taking it to an even higher level, which is making each episode of the, my other podcast that month be somehow Superman themed. Now, If you are a somewhat newer listener and you don't know what my other podcast is, this is the podcast I do twice a week over on the Patreon that most of the time, most of the episodes are exclusive to the patrons. Every once in a while, I'll release an episode over there that I'll make available for everyone, but typically it is uh, out there just for the patrons. So, and those are usually about 10 to 15 minutes long. Um, I don't put a little, I don't put a lot of thought into those episodes. I may come up with an idea that I might want to talk about. They aren't always nerd related. They could just be about what's going on in my life. Um, yeah. And so I thought maybe I could do, I could somehow make each one of those episodes Superman themed. That's not going to be easy. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. Because, first of all, you get two episodes a week. So that's eight episodes. And like I said, the thing about my other podcasts is that there just isn't really a lot of planning that goes along with that show. I don't do any research. I don't take any notes. Um, yeah, I just sit down and start recording. But if I want to do this for March, I'm going to have to break out my uh, my uh, Superman encyclopedia if I'm going to be ready. Because... I mean, I love Superman. He's my number one guy, probably second only or tied really with Spider-Man when it comes to my favorite character. He's probably been my favorite character longer. I I knew about Superman before I ever learned about Spider-Man. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot about the guy. I know all the basics, but I mean, come on. Superman's been around for 80 years. He's got 80 years of history and Packed into those 80 years, I don't know everything there is to know about Superman. For example, has Superman ever fought Bigfoot? I don't know. Maybe. Has he ever dressed in leaves and lived in a swamp? No idea. Has Superman ever turned into the Wolfman? I don't know. Captain America did. But did Superman? I don't know. So yeah, I'm going to have to do a bit of research for my other podcasts if I'm going to make any of these short episodes in any way interesting. And that's going to be a real booger of a task. I'm happy to do it because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm just thinking about stuff like, I don't know, maybe do a short episode on my favorite Superman villains. Do a a short episode on um, Superman and other media that I have enjoyed growing up. Stuff like that, you know, nothing too in-depth. Um... So that's what we're going to do in March. All Superman, all the time, one month long. And there's going to be a ton of crap out there from me that you're going to be able to listen to because you're going to get the four main episodes. You're going to get the Nerd Quest episode. And you're going to get at least eight short episodes from my other podcast that will be available to everybody. But we're not here to talk about Superman. We're here to talk about Conan. And uh, so let's do that. Before we get into the book, however, let's 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 uh, let's do a little history of Conan. So, according to the great 
repository for all human knowledge, otherwise known as Wikipedia. The character of Conan was created by Robert E. Howard in 1932 in a series of fantasy stories published in Weird Tales magazine. Now, I didn't read. I've never read any Conan stuff. I know that eventually um, Robert Jordan, uh, if you if you don't know who that is, he's the guy that wrote the Wheel of Time series, which will be coming to Amazon Prime at some point. In TV show format. He uh, is also known for writing Conan stories after, you know, Robert E. Howard stopped. And we're, I don't know, we're talking 20 years ago, maybe 20, 30 years ago when when Robert Jordan did it. But uh, I've never, I've never read any of the Conan books. That's not how I was introduced to Conan, was by the books. I, I, I know they're out there and I've known that they've been out, that they're out there for a long time. And I actually have... Probably three or four old beat up Conan paper books around the house somewhere. I need to go look for them because I'd love to read them. And the only reason I never have is because being the comic book guy that I am, I feel like I should read them in order. But I probably don't have to. Um, now, eventually, the character did come to Marvel Comics in, in the 70s. It was written by Rory Thomas. And there were actually two different books that Marvel did. There was Conan the Barbarian, and that ran from 1970 to 1993 and had a total of 275 issues, all written by Roy Thomas. Then they did this. They also did uh, The Savage Sword of Conan. That ran from 74 to 95 for a total of 235 issues. Roy Thomas wrote those as well. Those were black and white and were in magazine format, meaning they weren't comic book size. They were magazine size. And the reason they did that is producing the book as a magazine, they didn't have to follow the Comics Code Authority. So they could do all the kind of stuff that Conan would be doing that they couldn't do in the actual comic book because of the Comics Code Authority. Now, Dark Horse eventually picked up the property in 2004. They had it until 2016. The The, the book we're going to talk about is the first seven or so issues of those Dark Horse books. But eventually, uh, Conan has found its way back to Marvel. And the first issue of the new Conan books written by Jason Aaron came out this month. Now, for me, my history with Conan, I think I was kind of aware that Conan was out there. Uh, I knew as a kid that there were the comics, but I'd, I'd never read any of the Marvel comics. Um, my first introduction to Conan was around 1984. The, the movie Conan the Destroyer had come out and I probably saw it. I didn't go see it in the theater. I probably saw it on HBO. Um, or it could have been on, uh, like TNT or something. I just remember, I don't think Conan the Destroyer was rated R. I think it was rated PG 13, whereas Conan the Barbarian, which came out in 82, and it had James Earl Jones in it as the bad guy. That was rated R. And it, it, it was a number of years before I saw it. Uh, because, you know, I was just a little guy back then. And in 82, I would have been about 10 years old. Uh, so, yeah, probably 12 or 13 by the time I saw Conan the Destroyer. But that movie was amazing to my little 12, 13-year-old mind. I mean, we have Conan, who's this muscly dude. Uh He's got this little partner with him and they're thieves. They are hired by this woman to go take this princess to uh, 
get this horn, like a magical horn. And with them on their adventure is Grace Jones and Wilt Chamberlain. And so they go on this quest. They find the horn. They bring the horn back. Find out that the horn is there to bring uh, the avatar of this god to life. And then they're going to sacrifice the princess. And so they put the horn in this statue, which turns into a monster. And, of course, Conan gets to fight it. And he rips the horn off and there's lots of blood. It's really cool. That was my first real experience with Conan. Like I said, I'm sure I'd seen the comics. Now and again, I may have even read one or two. I have no real memory of reading any Conan comics, to tell you the truth. I can tell you that Barry Windsor Smith was the artist on a number of them. You know, the Marvel comics. But uh, beyond that... No real idea. Um, now, again, eventually I did see Conan the Barbarian, uh, which I did not like as much as Conan the Destroyer. Uh, and then, of course, there was a uh, a Conan reboot a number a few years back, and I want to say Jason Momoa played Conan. I don't remember anything about that movie. I remember liking it, but beyond that, I don't remember much about it. But that's my... That's my his. That's my uh, really my history with Conan. Eventually, when the Dark Horse books started coming out, I think I had read one or two of them. Um, but when I read this trade recently, it was apparent to me rel- relatively cl- quick that I didn't get that far. I think um, I think I just read two. I didn't really get that far into it. Running to play back in my mind a million times See the same things, review the same lines It's cold, I just need to move around some words Perspective will change of a game The ground I lost at first Worst is yet to come, hear it in my head Lately in the morning, I don't really want to get out of bed Instead I'd rather let it all fade away Let my friends all leave better if they don't stay okay I guess you were at a point when you said that I was probably wrong about feeling like I'm better off dead Sort of starting to wish I'd slip off to sleep Instead of walking around pretending like I still feel anything It's getting really old, wearing the same mask I remember my sense of humor so I still force myself to laugh My last thoughts for I finally started other bad dreams I'm starting to doubt I'm even really trust me Is that you? Was that me? Lately it feels like it's a struggle for me to even bother to speak It's been a long week, it's been a long week it's been a long week, it's been a long is that you? Was that me? Lately it feels like it's a struggle for me to even bother to speak It's been a long week, it's been a long week It's been a long week, it's been a long life Okay, so Conan, the Frost Giant's daughter and other stories This was a trade paperback Published by Dark Horse Comics in 2005 It was written by Kurt Busick uh, The art was by Carrie Nord and Thomas Yeats Color art by Dave Stewart and the letters were by Richard Starkings and Comic Craft. This collected issues zero through six and 14 pages from issue number seven. Now, before we get into the story itself, I want to just mention the book was freaking beautiful. It was, it is a gorgeous looking book. The art, I mean, first of all, Dave Stewart is just an incredible colorist. He just, he knows how to color a freaking book. And that's an art form unto itself that I'm never going to understand. 
he was actually the one. Okay, so from what I understand, I remember at the time reading about the book and reading about the fact that when the art was done, they basically colored Carrie Nord's pencils. There was there was no real inking done. So typically in a comic book, you do pencils, you go over it with inks, and then you color it. But Dave Stewart, apparently, I just recently read that Dave Stewart was the one, he was the guy that looking at Carrie Nord's pencils, he said, we just, we're, I, I want to just color it. I don't want, let's, let's not even do inks. Let's just color the pencils. And I have seen that done with other books and have not enjoyed it at all. I like a nice black line. I like some inks on a book. I think for certain books, um, you need that crisp black line separating the colors, but it freaking worked in this book. I mean, like I said, it is gorgeous. If you have not even just looked at any of these issues, you really need to because it is a beautiful looking book. The, the, the story is also great. So that's, you know, you're, that's already, you're, you've got a, you've got a great looking book and you've got a great story. So that's an A plus book in my park, you know, I don't know what parks have to do with it. I, I don't know if I was trying to go for a sports reference there, uh, but I did and I failed. Anyway, I I think the only nitpick I would have with the book, and I remember when I read uh, the first issue or two back then, um, the narration, there are narration box that go along with it, narration boxes. And the typeset, the font used in those narration boxes uh, look like typewriter letters, letters, you know, done from a typewriter. And I was actually turned off at first with that because it's, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, we're reading a book about, you know, it's a sword and sorcery book. It's set in the past, a fictional past. Um, There were no typewriters back then. Why are these text boxes... um, why does it look like I'm I'm reading a, a yellowed page that has been typed? And eventually it kind of hit me. Well, that's because, you know, it. I guess we're, I can only assume that the idea was that we are, they were wanting us to, uh, I guess, connect that with Robert E. Howard's books. Like we were reading his original drafts. And then seeing it all come to life on the page. That's the only, that's the only possible um, outcome I could come up with in regard to that choice of font. And once that, once that hit me, I had no problem with it after that. But so the first, the book opens up actually in uh in the future, it's still in the past, but it's Conan's future. And there is, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use a lot of the names from the books because honestly, I couldn't. I'm not 100% how to pronounce them, and I've forgotten most of them as it is. But you've got this prince uh, whose father apparently runs the biggest empire in the world. They are, they're the guys that now run things in the world. Um, and I don't know if he's out collecting taxes or if they're just exploring some of the, the outlying areas of their realm. But at some point, they stumble across uh something that is i think it's i think it's supposed to be a tomb and in investigating they find this giant treasure room but the one thing that really seems to pique the interest of this prince 
is this toppled statue and it's of Conan. And I know from, you know, when my periphery of the world of Conan, and I think, I believe they mention it, I think it's at the end of both movies, that eventually Conan does become a king of, of some kingdom. Um, and so this is a statue of Conan the king, and there's some, some writing on, this, on the base of the statue, and the prince is just really interested in this Conan guy, and he wants to know more about him. So these, this opening uh, is from the Zero issue, and it's really kind of there to kind of set up, you know, what we're, what we're looking at. We are reading what these scholars and scribes and whatever that work for the prince, what they have gathered up about the stories of Conan. So I guess maybe that, I don't know. So that's what we're, that's what kind of leads into the main, uh, ongoing series, starting with issue one. So with issue one, when we, when we get into the actual series, you've got Conan. He's, he's, he's a young man at this point. He may be in his, his early twenties and he's, he's come out of Samaria and he, uh, he stumbles across this village and these warriors that have attacked this village that's full of women and old men. And the, the race of people in the village, I think they were called Acer, A, A, E, S, I, R. And they, uh, Conan refers to them a few times as men of Asgard, even though the only God that I hear them, that I, that I remember them mentioning is Ymir, Y, M, I, R. I don't know, man. I don't know if that's a real Asgardian God. I've never run into the dude, uh, watching any of the Thor movies. I'll tell you that. But, this other uh, group of of I don't remember what they were called. They have a blood feud. The 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 Acer and these other this other group, this other race of people, and the bad guys. We'll just call them bad guys. Have attacked this village um, because their men are out hunting, and so Conan comes across this. He defends. He helps to defend the village. He kills a lot of these guys because that's what he does. That's what Conan does. Um, and then the Aesir warriors come back and uh, they also are bitter enemies of Sumeria. Apparently, nobody likes Sumeria. Nobody likes them at all. The Sumerians are not people that, that the rest of the world seem to like. But because Conan stepped in and helped these people... They become, they, they become friends. And so Conan with all the other warriors set out to go track down the, the, these, uh, warriors that attack the village. And, um, during this adventure, there's a battle in the snow. Everybody is killed except for Conan. He goes stumbling away where he encounters a very pale skinned woman who's practically nude dancing around in the snow. She draws him away where he is then attacked by a pair of frost giants. He kills them both. Um, and then I think, he, if I remember, he passes out. But eventually the the the, the Acer warriors um, from the village, they find him and he tries to tell them what happened, but there's no uh, record. There's the, the, gi- the dead giants are gone. The woman's gone. Um, you know, was it true or not? But... We do learn at some point that Conan, the reason he's left Sumeria is he, his grandfather, Sumerians apparently are not known for, for, for leaving their lands. They like to stick where they're at. Uh, but Conan's grandfather 
also left at one point and he came back and he would tell stories to Conan about these the other people out there in the world. And the one that really stuck to Conan was a place called Hyperborea. And there were just these tales that his grandfather would tell of the immortal people that lived in Hyperborea and how it was a an, an, an idyllic place, um, even though they were in the north, in the mountains, where it's cold and bitter all the time. In Hyperborea, it was warm and sunny. It just was just this wonderful place. And these immortal people, when they were, when they were tired of life, they would leap from the cliffs and the, these magic winds would take them to their gods. And Conan really wanted, Conan really wanted to go see this place. So he leaves Samaria to go see Hyperborea. And that's when he runs into the village being attacked and he becomes a group of, you know, becomes a part of, this group of warriors, but there's a, there's one particular guy, Sjarl or something like that. Man, I, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't note down any of these names because they were all freaking weird. But when Conan first encounters this village, what, what he actually encounters is a woman and her baby and this warrior is about to kill them. And Conan steps in and just, just slices the dude's head, just cleaves it from his body. Just such a great, such a great panel. There's a couple of panels in the book where Conan just slices, just, you know, just chops a guy's head off with his sword. And just the way it's drawn, it's not like super gory and bloody. It's just this, it's just really awesome. Carrie Nord is just a great artist. But anyway, the woman that he saves, of course, she kind of, hey, you know, you're big strapping muscly man who saved my life. Uh, you now have my eye. But there's a guy in the village, one of the warriors who kind of likes her. And so now he's all, he, you know, he's all upset. You know, not only has a Sumerian come and made friends with all these dudes, he's also might be making some time with his lady. So when they go out to track down the warriors that attack their village, uh, this Sajarl, he, uh, he and another guy are plotting against Conan. And so they're out there and they're tracking down more of these warriors. And there's a, there's, there's the big final battle between uh, Conan and his, his, his guys and the other, the other warriors. When suddenly these giants and by giants, they're probably like 10, 12 feet high, but they're these big pale looking dudes and at first I thought they were frost giants. They all come in and they start attacking. And uh Conan and his boys, they can't they can't fight them off. And so they make a deal with the other guys, you know, let's team up together, give us our weapons back and we'll fight alongside you cuz this is the bigger threat. So they all they let them go, they get their weapons back. In the meantime, Sjarl, he and his buddy, they leave and uh they they were trying to uh lure Conan away at one point. They're saying, you know, after the battle, you know, we have to, we need to go. We'll, we'll go with you to Hyperborea. And you find out that, uh, Sajarl has made a deal with some other group to bring Conan to them so they can capture him as a slave. Well, when these giants rush in, uh, Sajarl's up there on this rock with his buddy watching this happen. And he's like, oh no, they're early. They decided not to wait. So these, whoever these guys are, these are the guys that they made a deal with. Well, in the meantime, Conan's down there and he's, he's let, he's, he's, uh, with the, the leader of the other group. And the leader says, look, I know I have an idea of how to get us out of this. 
if you, if we can just take two or three people and get them around to the other side of this battle and put them on high ground, they can attack from that side and that will help us uh, defeat these guys. And Conan's like, I'm on it. And he, he takes off and he sees Sajarl and his buddy up on this rock. And that's the, and he's like, that's it. That's where we got to be. There's two guys, me, that's three. Let's do this. He climbs up on the rock and he's telling Sajarl the plan. And Sajarl's like, you know what? Nope. And kicks Conan away. And he ends up uh, getting beat up, right? Falls in, in, into unconsciousness and everything goes black. Times. Flip the script to otherwise it is wasting the rhymes I mean it's true, I got the level max out Running around, flipping out an audience in that fool's town And maybe you wanna step up with some magic cards And maybe you wanna join me next week holding placards And maybe you think that you can see me in some Mario 3 Or maybe you wanna join me for book club feminist readings My politics a little past left Think I'm the only anarcho-socialist and nerdcore guest But anyway, call me out whoever you can Man, between the rounds of Mortal Kombat I read it in my Goldman But not trying to be labeled an extremist Ask Jesse dangerously, I'm the one to future meanest Evolution is growth, seeking intelligence and sees it And you're left with a mind if I'm a negative three Challenge your audience and that's the job, no way to dip it up or pass it on To last at all Challenge your audience Set on the internet whenever I post on my music page about political ideals, but I can't do things like, you know, make fun of the fact that Guile has the same tattoo on both arms. So when Conan wakes up, we learn that he's in Hyperborea. These large, giant men uh, are basically creatures uh, made through sorcery by the Hyperboreans, and that's who Sajarl had to deal with. And the Hyperboreans are immortals, and they do live an, an, an idyllic life, but they do that through the use of magic, and they do that through the use of slaves, and they send these giant warriors out to capture people and bring them back to be their slaves, and to also uh, add men to their army. So these these giant warriors aren't the, aren't their only soldiers; they have their own army, and Conan and his the guys that he are with, they're put into this army. But they do it with the use of this, uh, this basically this chemical potion that clouds their minds. And uh, one of the slave women comes to Conan at one point and, uh, because he has been able to three times since he had been there, and he'd been there for a while now, I don't know, a few weeks or a month, three times during that time frame, he has such strength of will and strength of mind. He was able to fight through this potion or the smoke or however they use it to cloud their mind and come back to himself. So she, she, she sees this. She goes to him. She wants to escape and she gives him these leaves and says, if you chew on these leaves, if you do like three leaves a day, three times a day or whatever, then, uh, you will, the, the potion, stuff won't work on you anymore. And it was actually very reminiscent. I have to assume that I don't know 
which came first. Because I know that during this run, stuff like the Frost Giant's Daughter and other stories that are interwoven with the main story are actually adapted by Robert E. Howard's short stories. But this whole part here where Conan is captured, he is uh, put under mind control, he's, he's being used at first for sport as a gladiator and then being trained as a warrior until a slave woman gives him these leaves that will help wake up his mind. That totally happened in like the first animated G.I. Joe cartoon movie where Duke is is captured by Cobra and he has this headband put on him to turn him into a slave and they have all these other slaves that have these headbands and they're controlled through this electronic mind control and he's forced to fight in a gladiator arena with another slave gladiator until a slave woman who wants to be free gives him this little gold strip of metal that he can slide into the into the headband so between his skin and the headband that will stop the mind control so i have to assume that this part in the conan story was adapted from uh one of robert e howard's short stories and then the people who wrote the gi joe movie in the 80s just took it from that or it's just a big coincidence because that crap happens all the time so anyway, uh, there's this whole plan. He asks her for more of the leaf because he wants to free all these other dudes with him because he, you know, he gave them their word that he would be part of their band, you know, that he would fight for them. He would have their back. They would have his back. So he will agree to uh, help her escape. But they're, if, if, if they're going, they're all going. Now, what you learn at this point, though, is that these these Hyperborean people, these immortals, when one of them decides that they are tired of life, you know, they have they've lived for centuries. They realize that life, you know, really is boring and they're ready to just pack it all in. Then they go to this bridge that leads to nowhere that just ends and they leap off into this chasm below. But every one of their slaves all their warriors, everybody that is in their quote-unquote house, they also leap to their deaths. So there's like 20 or 30 people that leap into this chasm. And this, this slave girl knows that eventually the, the, the Hyperborean Lord that she is, uh, that whose house she is in is eventually going to want to do this. She doesn't want to die. So they come up with this plan and uh, everything is is going just fine. Until the, the Lord that she is, whose house she is in decides he's ready to, to end his life. So they have to escalate their plan. And Conan finds out, you know, he, <clears throat> so his warrior men, his warriors, they're all starting to wake up and then they all start fighting. They, they, you know, they start fighting their way out. Conan is supposed to meet her at this certain, at the, you know, at the end of the staircase. She's not there. He realizes that she had given him all the leaves that she used herself. And so she was back under the mind control. And in the end, he can't save any of them. They all leap to their death. He's the only one that survives. And it's only because um, he falls off of a wall 
into an alleyway and is struck unconscious. Nobody knows he's there. He's fighting like two guys. One of them he kills and he falls off of the wall. The other guy he kills and the guy falls on him and they both fall over the wall and they're all laying, the three of them are laying there in this alleyway. Nobody else knows that they're there. Conan's not dead. He wakes up uh, and realizes that the this Hyperborean Lord and all of all of his people, which include all the warriors, the Acer warriors that were that he he was in a band with, a band, not a rock and roll band, they all jump to their death. So he uh he climbs down this cliff face down into this chasm, finds them all down there. There are these giant bugs that are eating them. Um, he fights them off, and the main dude, the like the lord of the village, the Acer village, his name, I think his name was Njord. He was still alive. He was just barely clinging to life. And he he begs Conan to build them a pyre because their people believe that the only way they can get into, they never call it Valhalla. I think they call it the internal, the, uh, I think they call it the eternal land. I don't remember, but the only way that they can get there is by, uh, is through fire. So when they're dead, they're they're put on a pyre and then the smoke rising into the sky is is their their souls being delivered to heaven basically and so conan does that and then conan leaves and now all he wants to do is find sajarl and his buddy and end their life for everything that happened um and he tracks them to a village um in Numidia or somewhere like that again i can't remember a lot of these names uh, finds them in this village and man, he just, he's, he kills them both quickly, but very brutally and violently. It's not shown, you know, the, the book itself is not, um, graphic really. There's blood in it, but it's not over the top graphic. And, uh, but like one of the dudes, he's standing over him with his sword and he's going to stab him. And the guy's yelling, no, no. And he just stabs him right in the mouth. And, you know, right through the back of the head, through his mouth. And uh, that's how the book, you know, now he's he's uh, he's done what he set out to do. He was he left Sumeria to go to Hyperborea. He ends up in Hyperborea, realizes it's not, obviously, what he was told it was. Um. The two men that betrayed him and his friends to get him there, he uh, tracks them down, exacts his revenge, and now he's uh, he's done. But he's, he doesn't want to go back to Sumeria. He's he's going to stay out and he's going to travel. And uh, I think that must be because the you know it said it collected books zero through six, and then like the fourteen pages from book seven. So I'm assuming the rest of issue seven is him setting out to to start his next adventure. Um and I'm hoping that Trade 2 has those the rest of that issue I would assume it would have to. So, but yeah. So that was Frost Giant's daughter and other stories. A+. Plus. I don't really do grades for books. But it was a heck of a lot of fun. I it was it was a lot of fun. It was beautiful. It was a great story. It was a real page turner. And I'm definitely going to keep reading the rest of these Dark Horse books. 
because I'm really looking forward to uh, what's coming out from Marvel. I'm hearing really great things. There's going to be three different Conan series coming out from Marvel, one which just launched here in January, one that launches in February, and one that launches in March. And so far, what I've heard of this first book, this first issue, it's it's supposed to be really, really good. And I haven't read a lot from Jason Aaron, but everything that I've read from Jason Aaron, I've enjoyed. And he seems to, based on some of the stuff I've read, he seems to have a great love for the character. And it sounds like he's the right guy for the job. So uh, once that, once the first trade of those books are out, I'm definitely going to hopefully be able to pick that up through Hoopla uh, or they'll have a copy of it at the library because as you all know, say it with me, I'm a low-rent fanboy. I got my tinfoil hat, I got my skill 12 inches, got my people behind me and beside me and within me, got a big stack of books and a slightly off filter grin, think I'm going away again. I got my tinfoil hat, got my skill 12 inches, got my people behind me and beside me and within me, got a big stack of books and a slightly off filter grin, think I'm going away again. Woke up again today, snowed in, it's a whiteout, got nothing better to do, so let's start the Psych out, I'm digging a big hole and throwing everybody in it And I wasn't in the game, but you can go ahead and finish Permafrost, permeate your perpetual ball state Be called a bad influence in a lost case A real sore loser, real deep dude that can't maneuver Who you preach the truth for, cause I don't know anymore The situation's eyesore, looking out for you Staring to the high beams, I see the future blues Spend all this time scared of the reds Only to realize that they just scared the ashes on the deathbed I don't know what I said, it doesn't even really matter Leave me to my illusions, you still got your disasters I want to thank everybody for listening to the Stephen R. Else podcast. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, anything you want to say, you can email that to stephenorelse at gmail.com or just go to the website at stephenorelse.com and leave a comment to the episode. If you feel inclined to throw a little support my way, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can become my patron over at the Patreon. And for as little as a dollar a month, you're going to get my other podcast, two episodes every week, jam-packed with, I don't know, stuff that you might enjoy. If you're on the fence about that, just wait till March. You'll, you'll, you'll hear. Go over to the Patreon, though. There are a couple of episodes that I do, you know, a couple of episodes a month I just make available to everybody. So just, you know, go give it a try. Patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And you'll find uh, some episodes of my other podcasts that you can listen to right there on the website. And uh, that'll help you decide if that's something you want to do. If you aren't into the uh, commitment, though, of a monthly payment thing, you can throw me a one-time payment over at coffee.com. That's K-O slash F-I dot com slash Stephen R-O-R. And as, you know, just throw me a little, uh, buy me a coffee, as they say, three bucks or more. If you don't want to do any of that, but you're still thinking to yourself, Stephen, I want to support you. I don't have any money to do that. What can I do to help you out, my man? Well, it's pretty easy. Just get out there and tell people about the show. That's really all I can ask you to do. I can let you know that if you want to support me monetarily, here are some ways that you can do that. But what I'm asking you to do is to just go out there and, and uh, spread the word. 
Spread the word, Thunderbird. Get out there on Twitter, on Google Plus, if that's still a thing. Uh, what else is out there? Um, that Instagram thing, the YouTube, you know, whatever. Just go out there and tell people about the show. If you like it, then recommend it. If you tell them, they will come. Another movie with James Earl Jones, which I've only seen once, and I didn't cry. Though I've cried through many a movie. The theme song for this episode is Worship by Trinity X. You can find it and more songs from the band at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com. The rest of the music in this episode comes from Michael Kill. You can find him online at michaelkill.bandcamp.com. That's M-I-K-A-L-K-H-I-L-L.bandcamp.com. And of course, all of those links will be in the show notes. So until next week, I'm Steven, and this has been my podcast. Skadoosh! Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.